Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Any Seinfeld fans in here? It's such a good show. Um, Larry David, one of the, the main creators of the show Seinfeld, was asked to comment in an interview on what set Seinfeld apart from, from other TV shows at that time. And he responded with this simple sort of one-liner. No hugging and no learning. No hugging and no learning. He didn't want the characters to, to ever really like hug one another. And he didn't want the characters to learn from any of their mistakes. While the majority of TV shows in, in the 90s were all about sort of feel-good messages, motivational touchstones, Seinfeld had nothing to do with it. No sentimentality, no goals to achieve. Just a simple show about nothing. These four friends in New York just kind of live their normal everyday life, right? They go to work. I can see George and all his different jobs that he had. They, they would grab lunch at the coffee shop together all the time. They'd wait for hours at a table at a Chinese restaurant, right? But somehow, Seinfeld became one of the most influential sitcoms of all time. It appeals to people across generations, right? Um, it's as popular it, uh, today as it was even, maybe even more popular today than when it first aired. Uh, in fact, Netflix recently paid over $500 million to have the streaming rights to Seinfeld just until 2026. So I wonder who's going to get it next. Um, but, but even despite the insane popularity of this show, Seinfeld, most people who you ask, the overwhelming majority, are disappointed with Seinfeld's final episode, right? Has anyone here seen the whole series and watched the finale? I wonder if you can remember back to how you felt um, when you watched that final episode. Most people are disappointed, not only because it, it marks the end of this wonderful series, but because they're disappointed in the, the way that the story arc ends, right? Larry David was spot on. There's absolutely no hugging and no learning throughout all nine seasons. The characters never learn from mistakes. They never uh, sort of grow or, or learn past their own selfishness or failures. After all these years, right, the show ends with Jerry, Elaine, George, and Kramer just kind of cracking jokes to one another as a man is being mugged right before their eyes. You see, I think we're so disappointed with this final episode of Seinfeld because deep down, we all want to see people learn. We want to see people learn from their mistakes and change. We want to see transformation in others, but also in ourselves. And as Christians, we want to see this kind of transformation, not only in our individual lives, but at the local level too. We want to see it in our city and in our nation and in our world. Now, thankfully, as, as Christians, we believe God is transforming us and the world. And so there's hope, um, even for Seinfeld. But we're nearing the end of uh, our series, Cornerstone. We have this week and next week, and, and then that'll wrap up this series. If you've been around, we've been looking at how Jesus is the cornerstone of not only the global and historic church, but as this specific local church community. We've been discussing um, some of our Missio Dei language, not because it's, it's biblical or, or like literally a, a Bible 
type scripture uh, language, but because we believe it is based in the scriptures and we believe it is um, something that this local community uh, can use to give shape to our local mission. So first we talked about our vision and mission, joining God in the renewal of all things by making disciples of Jesus neighborhood by neighborhood. And then the last two weeks we looked at our core values. They're written right there on that wall in in this big beautiful chalk art. Uh, We went a little out of order though. First we talked about renewal, right? Joining God in, in renewal by proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Then we talked about freedom. What does it look like to experience freedom in in the person and power of the Holy Spirit? And this week, we're going to talk about honor. So I want to take us through um, our language for this value of honor, where we see it in in the scriptures, and how we might live it out today. Here's, Here's what our value honor says. We affirm that every single person has immeasurable value because they are made in the image of God. Yet we live in a world where so many have their inherent dignity questioned and marred, often as the result of systemic injustices. In response, we will be a community of hope and action, seeking friendship and unity as we become reconcilers and advocate until all people in Chicago flourish. This is a beautiful value. There's a lot packed into those three sentences. And we can spend um, a lot of time on this, but for the sake of our time today, I wanna dive in and kind of go sentence by sentence through this value and, and look at what it means for us today. So let's jump into that first line. We affirm that every single person has a measurable value because they are made in the image of God. What, is, what exactly do we mean when we say that all people are made in the image of God? What does that have to do with honor? Well, for one, what we're looking at here is what should it mean for our relationships if we're all created in the image of God? It should mean that all people are treated as God's own children. More than that, as God's own image bearers. It should mean that all people would live in the right sort of relationship with one another. Not only the people in this church community, but everyone around the whole world, right? If we all treated each other as God's image bearers, we would see no hatred, no war, no hunger. No one would be without a home. No one would be treated poorly because of their race or gender or economic status. If we all treated each other as image bearers of God, the world would be at peace, at harmony. There would be wholeness and goodness for all of creation. That is the way that things should be. And yet we we live our lives and we look around and I don't think it takes long for us to realize things are not the way they should be. Violence and war continue to plague humanity. Many in our own city and around the world continue to face hunger or food insecurity. There's poverty and economic inequality, racism, the refugee crisis, and the list could continue to go on. Things are not the way they should be. This world, simply put, is not just. Injustice rears its ugly head on a global scale in our own nation's past and present, and even in our own selves. Things are not the way they should be. We know this not only because of what we see on CNN or Fox News, not only because of the anger and responses we see in Instagram posts or on Facebook, not only because of the articles that we read, as helpful as they may be. How do we know that things are not okay? We know this 
because God created the world to be good. Even though humanity has walked away from our inherent goodness in many ways, God created the world to be good, and the story ends with goodness. God is renewing and redeeming the world to its rightful place of goodness once again. That's why the Christian vision of the world is one where justice rolls like a river. The Christian vision of the world is good news for the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, mercy for the oppressed, righteousness, peace, joy, and justice will have the final word. In the new heaven and new earth, God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Death, mourning, Pain will be no more. Everything will be made new. God's kingdom looks like the end of war, the end of hunger, the end of weeping. It looks like peace, harmony, and wholeness for all creation. As Julian of Norwich famously said, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Can you imagine that kind of world? Can you imagine the kind of world where peace was, was pertinent on a, on a global scale, on a macro level and at the micro level of our own hearts? Can you imagine, rather than turning on the news to hear about an ongoing war between Ukraine and Russia, what if we saw stories of food being shared with neighbors and cultural differences being celebrated and embraced? Rather than arguing with your spouse about the budget or the weekend plans, can you imagine being at perfect peace with one another, the relationship just flowing naturally? Don't you want a world like that? Don't you want relationships like that? I think we all do. Not just us, but all of humanity wants this kind of peace. And as Christians, I think many of us, we don't just want this kind of world. We believe that this kind of world is possible in God's kingdom. We want it. We believe that it's possible. And yet, why don't we live in this kind of just and peaceful world? Why don't we see this on a global scale or in our nation or even, if we're honest, in our own hearts and lives? Well, I think the the problem that we face is there's a clear distinction between what we desire to be true and what is actually true in our real lives. There's a disconnect between our desire for peace and justice and our actions toward it. This is an age-old problem in Christianity, the disconnect between desire and action. The Apostle Paul understood this issue when he was writing to the church in Rome. He said this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Paul understood this difficulty between the disconnect between our desire and our action. Jesus himself noticed this in his own followers that they faced a very, very similar issue. This is why he asked them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. Lord means like master, like you're the the master teacher, the one I wanna follow. And, And they were calling him that, and I think we often do the same, and yet not following his his teaching. The world around us notices this too, right? Christians are often, rightfully so, sort of called out as being hypocritical or judgmental because we often have trouble living up to our own standards that we place on ourselves. That's why Gandhi, I think, so famously said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. 
your Christians are so unlike your Christ. The world around us is watching and they're noticing this disconnect. We want to be like Christ and yet many of us are more like Paul, desiring to do what is good but unable to carry it out. This is a problem as old as as the scriptures themselves and a problem that we face today. And usually I think we usually try to, we have this problem and I think we try to solve it usually in sort of one or, or two ways. I think there's two main ways that we go about trying to sort of fix this issue. The first way that I think we try to fix this issue is um, to just accept. Just accept that we're broken, accept that we're sinful, and, and ask for God's grace and forgiveness. We recognize that we just continually fall short of the way that, that God has called us to, and so we simply just accept that we can't do it and, and ask for grace and forgiveness. Now, I want to be clear, there is a level of truth to this, right? We all have fall, fallen short of God's glory, and, and we do need God's mercy and grace and forgiveness, absolutely. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with being forgiven um, or given grace. It, that should lead to a, a response or to an action, right? This, doesn't, this, this issue of just accepting that we're broken doesn't really solve the, the real problem, which is that we have a desire to live in a new way of life. And yet we, we can't carry it out. We need more than, than just receiving forgiveness. I think the second way that many of us try to solve this disconnect between desire and action is to try harder. Try harder not to get into so many arguments with my spouse. Try harder to be more generous to those in need. Try harder to be more kind, more loving, right? More peaceful to those around me. And often I think this will work for most of us for a few days or a few weeks or months, but eventually our our lives tend to catch up with us, don't they? And we usually once again find ourselves facing that inability to live out the, the desires that we actually have for our lives. And so we often find ourselves in sort of an endless cycle between these two false solutions, this this idea of um, accepting our brokenness, receiving grace, trying harder, failing, accepting our brokenness, trying harder, failing, and it kind of goes on and on and on. Is there another way? Are we stuck in this endless cycle or is there another way out? I believe there is, and that way is not simply trying harder or accepting that we're broken. I believe the way out of this disconnect between desire and action is through training. Training to be like Christ so that we can see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Athletes understand that training is better than trying. That's why they practice for hours every single day, running drills and learning more about their game in preparation for their game. Musicians also understand this. That's why they learn countless scales and study music theory and rehearse their songs so that they are prepared when the performance comes. What if this same understanding that athletes have and that musicians have for training, what if this also applied to Christianity, right? I think the Apostle Paul was onto something in his first letter to Timothy. He, he wrote this, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
So rather than just trying harder or just giving up and accepting that we're broken, what if we trained to become people of love and justice? That's what I want to invite us into. As I grab a sip of water, we're going to uh, return to our value of honor and look at how we might train to become people of honor. Um, So the last sentence of our value says, we will be a community of hope and action, seeking friendship and unity as we become reconcilers and advocate until all people in Chicago flourish. I love this value. I love this picture that it paints of us being a community of hope and action and seeing all people in Chicago flourish. That's beautiful. I want that kind of city and that kind of world. I want us to be that kind of community. But this journey is also, it's difficult, right? This is a lifelong journey. We can't simply wake up tomorrow and just try to make this happen. We can't uh, simply go about it. And as we fail and make mistakes, we can't just accept and give up and, and, and come to terms and that we're broken, right? We can't have either of two, these two options. No, we need to train to become this kind of community to see all of Chicago flourish. But how are we gonna do that? How are we gonna become this kind of community? Uh, I wanna turn to a concept that was um, coined, uh, a term that was coined by the philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard. It's just a simple three-letter word, VIM, V-I-M. And VIM is shorthand for vision, intention, and means. Um, Dallas Willard spent the majority of his life asking the question, how do we actually become like Jesus? What do we need for our spirits, our interior world, and our exterior world to actually be transformed, to be like the world um, that Christ wants us to be in? So he came up with this, this concept. I think it's pretty straightforward once we, once we look at it. But vision, intention, and means. This is what... Dallas Willard says, that is how spiritual formation in Christ is done. Vision, intention, and means in that order. Indeed, this is the pattern of all human accomplishment, even that which, like spiritual formation, can only occur at the initiative and through the constant direction and upholding of God or through grace. So I think that if we understand this concept, vision, intention, and means, it will really help us come to terms with this disconnect that we face between desire and action. And one of the things I love about this, this VIM idea, is it applies to all human accomplishment, right? This isn't just for our value of honor. This isn't just for uh, spiritual formation. This is anything. If you want to learn any human um, accomplishment, if you want to grow in any way, this, this concept can help us to get there. So let's look at each of these three terms, vision, intention, means, and just quickly apply it to our vision for being a community of of honor, all right? So vision, it all begins with a vision. Vision is sort of this picture of what we are aspiring to. A vision could be as simple as, I want to be more generous to those around me, right? Or it could be something a lot larger, like, I want to be a part of ending world hunger, right? For Willard, the, the vision that animated all of Christian life is the vision of the kingdom of God. So in his book, The Renovation of, of the Heart, Willard says this, 
The vision that underlies spiritual formation and Christ-likeness is the vision of life now and forever in the range of God's effective will, participating by our actions in what God is doing now in our lifetimes on earth. What we are aiming for in this vision is to live fully in the kingdom of God and as fully as possible now and here, not just hereafter. So essentially what he's saying is the vision of all Christian life is to begin eternal living here and now, not just when we die. This, if you've been around, this should sound awfully familiar to Missio Dei's vision, right? Joining God in the renewal of all things here and now in the kingdom. For us, that, that is our big picture vision as, as Missio Dei. But when we zoom in to this value of honor, the vision here specifically is to see all people in Chicago flourish. It's, it's a big vision. That's what we want to see. Um, another vision in our, in our value here is to become a community of hope and action. That's where we're trying to go, right? We want to see justice flow like a river. We want to see racism end and the oppressed set free. Melissa reminded me this week of the language of Isaiah 117. This is such a, a simple way to put it. This is what we want. We want to learn to do right, to seek justice, defend the oppressed, to take up the cause of the fatherless, to plead the case of the, of the widow. This is a vision of life that is only possible in the kingdom of God, where what God wants done is done. We want this vision. We want to see it happen, and we want to be a part of joining God in helping to make it happen. So that's vision. We've got the vision. After that comes the intention, right? Vision, intention means vision. We see where we want to go. And so now we have to ask ourselves, do we intend to go there? This part is really about asking ourselves the tough question. Are we going to do the work that it takes to actually rearrange our lives and make this vision possible, right? If we're honest, a lot of us get stuck right here. And, um, you know, you may have a vision for your life. Let's say I have a vision for my life of being physically fit and healthy and strong, right? I have that vision, but do I actually intend on eating healthy and working out, right? If not, we all know it's not going to happen. I mean, God can work miracles, and I've been praying for one. <laughs> but, but seriously, if we don't intend to set aside the time that it will take, uh, the hours that we'll have to, to put into it, to do the uncomfortable work of addressing injustice issues and giving of our financial resources and so on, right? If we don't intend to make it happen, it's, it's probably not going to happen. Intention is where our desire, it's where our desire is tested. It's where we become begin to come to grips with what would actually need to happen. And eventually, we have to make a decision. We can't simply desire or wish for something to happen. We have to decide to do what our vision requires of us. So that's the intention. Lastly, and most importantly, are the means. We know where we want to go, the vision, and we intend to go there, intention. So how will we get there? What are the means by which we will become a community of hope? And action means this idea here, I think, is where things really get interesting. Because for a lot of us, it's easy to fall back into try harder mode, 
right? It's easy for us to just be like Nike and just do it. But in order for lasting change to happen in us and in our world, we need to find the right means, the kind of means that will transform us from the inside out. We're not merely looking for a way to change our our exterior behavior. We're looking for our character to be transformed to the point that this kind of life just naturally flows out of us. Here's what Willard says on this. The vision and solid intention to obey Christ will naturally lead to seeking out and applying the means to that end. Here, the means in question are the means for spiritual transformation, for the replacing of the inner character of the lost with the inner character of Jesus, his vision, understanding, feelings, decisions, and character. This kind of life change is what Paul was was mentioning and referring to in Ephesians 4. Paul instructs the church in Ephesus, and I think this applies to us as well, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This process, this putting on the new self, is a journey inward and a journey outward. It's a journey of interior transformation and exterior transformation. And for us, it's not merely an individual process either. This is a communal process. We're a a family of God, and we want to see this kind of transformation in in our lives as individuals and as a community. So to give an example of this whole VIM process, vision, intention, means, let's just use a, a simple example, right? If you wanted to learn a new language, let's say you want to learn Arabic, and let's say you, you have a good vision behind why you want to learn it. Maybe you're moving uh, to a new place or you're going to go do work somewhere else. You really need to learn this new language, and so you really intend to do it. You want to put the work in. So what would the means to learn that new language be? Well, It's not just gonna happen naturally, so you probably are gonna start with signing up for a class and going to the class. You're gonna buy books, you're gonna read books. You might get an app for your phone. Um, Hopefully you make some friends who speak um, that new language that you're trying to learn, right? And if you stick to those processes, the odds are very high that you will eventually be able to speak this new language, right? This is vision, intention, and means. So returning to our value, right, honor. We have the vision. And I think, let's just assume that we have the intention. What are the means by which we might live out this vision? So I want to go back similar to how those musicians, they learn music through scales and athletes learn their sport through drills. I believe that Christians learn the way of Jesus through spiritual practices. Spiritual practices are our version of scales or drills. Spiritual practices like prayer, worship, Silence, Sabbath, solitude, and there's many, many others. These spiritual practices form us into the kind of people who can live as reconcilers and advocates until we see all people in Chicago flourish. And I want to, I could tell you all this, but I'd rather paint a picture a little bit and give you a few examples of what I mean when I say this. So here's, here's a few examples of what I mean, right? All right, here's an example. Let's say... I read the news. This, this actually happened to me last week. I read the news when I wake up in the morning and I, I hear about a tragedy that happened um, in the world. I heard about the white supremacist uh, mass shooting that happened in, in Buffalo, New York at a grocery store. Okay? After I read that story, I had competing options within me of how I could respond, right? The, the first reaction I had was kind of to just move on and ignore it. I had stuff to do. I had other things to to read. I I had to keep going in my life, right? 
Um, the other option, I saw a lot of other Christian leaders posting on social media. I thought maybe I need to, to post on social media or let's say maybe I could just go talk to a friend about it. Those are all reasonable responses to how you might uh, respond to an injustice. But another option would be to respond through engaging in a spiritual practice. Maybe you engage in prayer or you spend some time in lament, expressing how this tragedy makes me feel before God, expressing my concern to those who were victimized in this attack, and even asking God to empower me to do something about this injustice. That's a spiritual practice of, of lament, and through that, you, we learn to become more like Christ. We, we put on God's heart. Our heart begins to break for what breaks God's heart. And through that, we can be strengthened to, to actually do something about injustice. Um, I love, this sermon is just dedicated, I guess, to Dallas Willard. I'm quoting him all over the place. Um, but his, his writing on this is very, um, very powerful. And so I'm, I'm mostly referring to two of his books, Renovation of the Heart and Spirit of the Disciplines. Um, in Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas gives this really compelling example of this young woman who had just sort of begun trying out new spiritual practices in her life. And she was talking about the fruit of these practices. She said this, the more I practice the discipline of silence and solitude, the less I become skeptical and judgmental. The more I learn to accept the things I don't like about others. The more I enjoy and celebrate my life, the more I realize that God has been giving me wonderful things and the less I worry about my future. I can accept and enjoy what God is continuously giving to me. I think I am beginning to really enjoy God. I think that's really beautiful because I love her first, her first line. We wouldn't normally think that um, silence and solitude would help us become less skeptical and judgmental of others, right? She directly related it to accepting the things that she doesn't like about other people. That, that doesn't really um, seem natural, like that's going to be how you're formed through silence and solitude, but it's actually in these places when we get away from the noise and the busyness of our relationships, of our, of our jobs, of our schools, that's where we're actually able to come to terms with what's really going on within us, and it's amazing how God can transform us. Um, just one final example. I, I love this one. I knew someone um, a few years ago who wanted to grow in being more sacrificial. He wanted to be less self-centered, didn't want to always look out for himself um, above others, right? So he kind of came up with this unconventional spiritual practice. You might not think this is a spiritual practice when you first hear it, but it is. Every time he, he drove his car somewhere, he intentionally chose not to take the best parking spot. He intentionally parked as far away as possible to leave the, the better parking spots available for others. And as he was noticing how this changed him, after some time he realized that in all sorts of different areas of his life, he was able to notice the needs of others. He was able to see their needs and actually put them uh, above his own. And, and that's pretty beautiful, right? He was just being sacrificial in this trivial area of parking further away. But through that, in more demanding and more serious situations, he noticed, oh, there's other people that have needs and I want to put them above my own. Those, those small examples are the difference between training and trying. Those are, are, are the stories that show us that we can't just wake up one day and try to be more generous or sacrificial. We have to practice. We have to learn. We have to become those kinds of people. So for us, 
Training to be a community of hope and action involves prayer, worship, fasting, silence, solitude, Sabbath, and, and so on. And here at Missio Day, those are the primary means. Those are the primary means by which we live out this value of honor, right? Think of what we do together for the most part, right? We gather together for worship. We spend time together in prayer. We read scripture and learn about the life of Christ. We bear one another's burdens in community like at, at GC. We show up and serve our neighbors who are in need. All of these are spiritual practices for the sake of becoming like Christ in our individual lives and as a community. So to just quickly return to the passage from James that Chloe read earlier, this is about listening to the word of God and, and doing it. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's, that's sort of what Willard was getting at, vision, right? Or what James calls looking intently into the law of God. Intention, actually deciding to continue in what God is inviting us to do. And then finding the means by which to do it. It may seem counterintuitive, but I, I really do believe these, these spiritual practices can transform us from the inside out. And this includes reading the news. This includes learning about different issues of, of justice that our city is facing. This includes building relationships with, mar with people on the margins and, and so on. But if we want to do this long term, if we want to be in the long haul um, game of, of this kind of work, then we need to avoid burnout. We need to be on a path that leads to sustainable action in this, this kind of world, right? So we will, as, as sort of Missio Day, continue to provide opportunities for you. We will partner with organizations locally and globally. That's why we have Sarah here today representing World Relief. That's why we do pop-up shops with Imani Yaju, right? That's why we continue to develop a relationship with Breakthrough in East Garfield Park um, and so on. These are extremely valuable partnerships on our journey. So not all of these spiritual practices are inwardly focused, like prayer um, or, or, or solitude, right? There are also spiritual practices of service, serving our neighbors, showing up to serve on a Sunday. These are spiritual practices. So we'll continue to provide opportunities and invite you into them. But what I want you to hear this morning is that ultimately this works best when it's flowing out of who God has created you to be. Not necessarily the opportunities that we organize and provide, as, as beautiful as those are, but they work best when they're an overflow of what God is doing in you. What are the unique gifts that God has given you? Where do you find yourself getting fired up about injustice in our city? Where do you notice people in your neighborhood or in the city? And, and where do you see their needs? And how might you be able to serve them. I really believe looking inward to who God has made you to be will lead to the most effective and sustainable outward service. And we should ask the same questions, not only as individuals, but as a community. What are the unique gifts and passions of this community and how do they collide with the needs of our city? So to close, God has, has given us this beautiful vision of life in the kingdom of God, a life where we become a community of hope and action and where we see all people in Chicago flourish because of it. I think this is beautiful. And I think if we join together with God 
and set our intention not only on desiring to do this, but to actually put the action in toward making it happen, I think we'll be um, amazed by what we can see God do. Quick close in prayer. God, I thank you that none of this is possible um, in our own strength. We can't simply try harder to make this happen, but through your Holy Spirit's power, through the work that you're already doing in our city, in our nation, in our world, and in our own hearts, God, we can join you to see all of Chicago flourish. It almost seems like an impossible task to see every single person flourishing. But Lord, that's what we believe you've placed on our heart. That's what we believe you want for Chicago. So empower us. Empower us to become like you in our hearts, in our spirits, in our wills. Um, Give us the power to intend to become this kind of people. And then send us out. Show us how we can live this out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.